Just who is the master? Very few who find the answer live long enough to reveal it. The master is an enigma wrapped around a pair of black hearts, a player of evil games throughout the whole of time and space. This is the story of the final confrontation between the master and his oldest friend and greatest enemy, the Time Lord known as the Doctor. This is their final game. first fall of snow was beginning to blanket the countryside. At Unit HQ, the organization's annual Christmas party was in full swing. While the unit's staff enjoyed the festivities, the on-duty communications officer, Corporal Carol Bell and Maisy Hawk, were awaiting the end of their shifts with happy anticipation. Go, Maisie. I snuck this from the punch bowl. Oh, you're a lifesaver, Carol. Need a glass of punch to get through this. Comms duty in the run-up to Christmas, and with a party on as well. I mean, who's going to be daft enough to invade the Earth at Christmas? Maybe they've run out of eggnog in Andromeda. Oh, it's just another half hour. Then we can join the fun. It's a quiet night, after all. Don't say that. It was supposed to be a quiet morning when the World Peace Conference almost failed, remember? Oh, yes. Twelve straight hours manning radios while the world decided if it was going to end that day. See? Boredom's very underrated. Suppose so. Here's to a half hour more of watching a quiet radar screen with a nice drop of unit punch. Without the punch, please, corporals. A radar screen is always quiet until the trouble starts. If and when it starts, we need you to be seeing only the one screen. Because when trouble starts here, it's usually bringing hell with it. I should know, remember. I was watching when the first Nestine invasion started. 
I still thought they were meteorites. It gave you the best nickname, though, Samantha. Lieutenant Meteorite Thompson reporting for duty. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I strike fast and with force. And I should report you both to the Brigadier. Both for stealing punch and for laughing at a superior officer. But instead... Fancy a meat pie, courtesy of Sergeant Osgood? <laughs> oh, just a moment. There's something on the radar scope. More meteorites? Whatever it is, there's only one of it. It's moving fast, though. Let's not take any chances. You two go find Captain Yates. I'll keep watch on whatever our incoming friend is. Meanwhile, the doctor was in his laboratory, making the final connections with a complex array of wires and projectors. His friends, Sarah Jane Smith and the Brigadier, entered the room to find the scientists still hard at work. Doctor, are you not finished yet? The celebrations have already started. My dear Lethbridge Stewart, you've known me long enough to know that I'm only finished when I'm finished, and not a moment before. Oh, come on, Doctor. Sergeant Benton's already got the dancing started, and unless you distract him, I'm going to have to dance with Jeremy. Hmm? Jeremy? Jeremy Fitzoliver. My photographer. You've met him eight times. Dab hand with the camera, but no sense of rhythm in size nine feet. Doctor? Oh, of course. You're not even listening. Oh, well. Christmas comes only once a year, I suppose. Except at UNIT, of course. Why UNIT celebrates so early, I've no idea. There's weeks to go yet. I'm only halfway through my advent calendar. You can blame the Brigadier for the schedule, Sarah. But remember, the military mind always operates on timetables, not calendars. Even if they are advent calendars. Doctor, if you weren't always draining units' budgets with demands for all your scientific tomfoolery, I wouldn't have to celebrate Christmas so early now, would I? Yes, well, you are very accommodating, my dear chap. Which is why I'm building this light display, especially for your party. A light display? I've never seen anything like it before. That's because nothing like it has ever existed before. At least, not on this planet. You could say that it's ahead of its time. Now... If you're both quite finished, I just need to make this last connection. Brigadier, sir, there you are. Ah, hello, Mike. Nice to see you. Have you met my new assistant? Sarah Jane Smith. Nice to meet you finally, Captain. Yes, you two haven't met yet. Mike's been away on recuperative leave. I'm sorry, Doctor, Miss Smith, but there's no time for introductions. Brigadier, there's something approaching the Earth at super speed. We think it's a spaceship, sir. Right. Captain Yates, alert the staff. Doctor. But the doctor was already striding out of the laboratory. The brigadier followed with Captain Yates and Sarah Jane close behind. They reached the monitoring room, its walls lined with complex computers and scanning equipment. 
Each station was manned by unit. Their faces bathed in the bright yellow-green lights of radar screens. Sergeant Benton was coordinating the traffic efforts and quickly came over to update the Brigadier. We aren't sure just what it is yet, sir, but it's coming straight towards us. Radar contact confirms speed and incoming trajectory are unchanged. ETA? At this rate, it should be here in the next ten minutes. All troops report ready for orders, sir. Thank you, Corporal Bell. Tell them to stand by for further instructions. We have radio contact from our deep space tracking stations. They confirm the object has come from outside the solar system. That settles it, then. It is alien. Friendly or unfriendly? Well, that depends on the type of alien, my dear. Uh, Sergeant Benton, where is it expected to land? That's the weird thing, Doctor. I think it's coming straight to us. You mean it's aimed directly at HQ? Very nearly, Mike, yes. But I'd say that it's due to come down in the forest about three miles south of us. And by the very minute changes in its trajectory, I'd say the object is actively choosing its landing site. Or its target. But that's impossible! No, not impossible, Sarah. Not impossible at all. Just very, very deliberate. Brigadier, we must be there when it comes down. Right, Doctor. Yates, Benton, assemble a platoon. We leave in two minutes. Doctor, Miss Smith. <laughs> Lead on, Brigadier. It's nice to feel needed, isn't it? Come on, come on. Quick to it, man. All right, Captain. Come on, now. Follow the Brigadier. You lot, just get in the back of the truck now. Come, come on. on. Charge! With practice speed, the unit troops assemble. With Benton shouting orders and Yates organizing their march, the soldiers stepped onto small fleet of armored jeeps and lorries, which streamed out of the courtyard in a single file. Leading the caravan was Bessie, the doctor's bright yellow and Wardian roadster. The doctor was driving, with the brigadier at his side, and Sarah Jane in the back seat. As he led the convoy into the forest, the doctor pointed forward into the gray sky. A streak of fire and light raced towards the ground. Then the fiery object struck the earth with a phenomenal bang. They're faster if we run. Come on! The doctor turned and raced through the falling snow towards the smoking crash site. His grey Inverness keep streaming behind his scarlet smoking jacket. Sarah Jane immediately jumped out and began chasing after him. Lethbridge Stewart hurried to follow and shouted back into the caravan. Everyone, out and forward. Wide formation as we follow the doctor. Stop! Everyone came to a sudden stop. The doctor was standing in a high snowdrift at the edge of a large, steaming crater. For a moment, no one moved. Then the brigadier mentioned to his troops to form a perimeter around the sun. 
As the soldiers followed the order, Sergei leaned forward and peered over the edge of the crater. Several feet beneath the edge, there was a grey cube, half buried in the muddy snow. This cube was about three meters high, and the same across. Large black circles decorated each face of the cube. There was a strange look on the doctor's face, as he studied the shape sunken into the boiling snow, and one that Sir Jane had not seen before. It was a look of deep shock and worry. Lethbridge Stewart followed closely by Yates and Benton approached the doctor. Doctor? Doctor, what is it? It's this ship. I've seen its kind before. But it can't be. What can't it be, Doctor? It's an escape pod, Sergeant. And it shouldn't be here. What's so strange about an escape pod? What's strange, Captain? Is that it comes from a TARDIS. One of the black circles on the cube opened, and the bright light streamed from the air. A shadowy figure appeared from the inside of the light. The soldiers aimed their rifles at the emerging sheep. A man in black, clothing, torn and tattered, staggered through the hole with a pained cry, and collapsed face down in the snow. Dark streams of blood pooled beneath his fallen body. The doctor jumped down into the crater, grabbed the man by the shoulders, turned it over. At the sight of the man's battered face, the doctor pulled back in surprise. Doctor, are you all right? Yes, I am. Now, this person needs immediate medical attention, unfortunately. <laughs> What's wrong, doctor? Look for yourself. Good grief. Happy Christmas, Brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> and a very happy Christmas to you too, Doctor. As a gift to you, Brigadier, I offer my unconditional surrender. And as a gift to you, Doctor... The Master extended his trembling arm and revealed the large lump of coal in his gloved hair. Then his eyes rolled back and closed. His body slumped, death-like, into the snow. The doctor reached down and lifted the lump of coal in his hand. He studied the dark rock for a moment and sighed. I'm sorry, Brigadier. Party's over. Months passed, and the Doctor and Unit went about their business, protecting the Earth from threats both alien and domestic, including the rise of Operation Golden Age, with the ensuing dinosaur invasion. During this time, Unit held the Master in its most secure prison, while the United Nations debated on how to deal with their captive. And yet, even with the Master safely under lock and key, the Doctor still had many unanswered questions, and that made him very uneasy. Doctor? Doctor? Where are you? In here, Sarah Jane. 
There you are. I've been looking all over for you. What's that? This screen? Why, it's an interstitial monitor, my dear. I use it to check on adjacent dimensional planes. I see. Well, not exactly. You mean it can look into other dimensions? Yes, that is one way of describing it. And where are you watching now? Have a look, my dear. Doctor, it's us! Well, I admit they might look very much like us, Sarah. But can you see the very clear difference? Just a moment. Well, your jacket's a shade of shamrock, while his looks more olive. But... I'm honoured you noticed my superior elegance. But no, that's not it. Here, let me widen the view. The TARDIS! It's not there! Top of the class, Miss Smith. So is this a window into some sort of parallel world or alternate timeline? Or do those not really exist? No, my dear. Parallel timelines have their place in this cosmos, but what's on the monitor isn't one of them. Ah, uh, not exactly. What we're seeing is, in fact, the realm of null space. Null space? You mean the world filled with N-forms, like the ones we encountered at the castle, where the brigadier's great-uncle lives? Well, Mario isn't Lethbridge Stewart's great-uncle, remember? He's a second cousin to his grandmother, and he's adopted as well. But yes, it is the same place. So we're looking at our own ghosts. Ghosts? Now really, Sarah Jane, if there's one thing you should know after our travels together, it's that there's no such thing as ghosts. But you said the end forms were an imprint of every living thing, and that when we die, our consciousness travels within them to a higher plane of being. Yes, well, what I explained at the time was a version of reality, but in terms you could understand. You were rather new to our adventures, my dear. I see. You were humoring me. Oh, why should I be surprised? It's always the way. Put a man in the same room with a woman and he always assumes she can't figure things out for herself, that she can't ask the right questions to understand the world around her. Well, I'm a journalist, remember? Asking the right questions to make sense of the world, even other worlds, is my life. And? Do you think I'm capable of understanding more now? Well, that depends on if you want to know more, Sarah. Oh, go on then. You know I do. Good. Now, informs are beings that exist within interstitial time, a place between this dimension and that I mention outside time itself. Uh, usually they're formless and without thoughts of their own, but every now and then their plane comes into contact with this one, say through a rift in space-time. Through those connections, the informs can detect and mimic the appearances of beings in this dimension. So those two on the monitor, they're not really us? No, they're just self-made copies. But they think they're us, and will do for as long as their dimensional imprints last. It seems that the connection made from the rift at Mario's castle left quite an impression on Null Space. It likely won't last much longer. You can tell from the color differences of our jackets. Shamrock and Olive, yes. Mind you, what if what we're seeing were in fact a real parallel timeline with actual other versions of us? 
How would you tell the difference? Well, that has an even easier answer. Time Lords don't have alternate realities. Therefore, there's only one me. That's silly. Yes, it is, isn't it? They're a very silly lot, you know, the Time Lords. I'm not saying a word. Speaking of colours, I've never seen you wear that jacket before. Well, of course you have, my dear. I was wearing this one when we first met. No, no, not this one. I'm used to your Larry the Leprechaun look. I meant that one, draped on the stand over there. Oh? Oh, yes, I see. I wonder how that got there. Hmm. Elbow patches, corduroy pattern. Oh, no, this isn't me at all. Although I must say, that's a, that's a lovely shade of maroon. You haven't been raiding the wardrobe behind my back now, have you, Sarah Jane? I wouldn't dare. I went in there once and got lost for three hours. Doctor? Miss Smith? We're in here, Brigadier. Ah, oh, there you are, Doctor. Miss Smith? Ah, Lethbridge Stewart. How are you this morning, my dear chap? Oh, shipshape as always. How fortunate. Are you finally taking part in the new fitness routine I recommended? Well, when duties permit, of course. Is there any news? Still nothing. You mean the UN still haven't set a date for the Master's trial? I'm afraid not, Miss Smith. Every week I ask, and every week they give the same reply. They already have a great many concerns to occupy their time. Ah, that's typical bureaucratic evasion. Faced with a problem too dangerous to ignore, they'll find every possible way to forget that it exists. Yes, on this occasion I'm inclined to see your point, Doctor. Of course, I must have some sympathy for the world leaders. Many of them remember the last time we put the Master on trial and how badly that turned out. Perhaps so, Brigadier. But while they wait to act, the Master is still our problem to solve. Yeah, now there, I couldn't agree more. Thankfully, he's still locked away. Well, of course he is. I designed his prison, after all. But that isn't what's really bothering you, is it, Doctor? No. No, it isn't, Sarah Jane. It's... Well, it's the fact of his being here, and that I still don't know the reason why. I also still don't know how he lost his TARDIS, or why he chose to surrender himself to me, and... And? And I don't know who or what forced him to come here. Something did, and if that something or someone can harm the Master so gravely, then it must be something appallingly dangerous. But you can't have come all this way to talk about news you don't have, Brigadier. Quite so, Doctor. I'm here to remind you that you're coming with me to the Cedric Center today. Just a moment. I know that name. Isn't that the place where I first met the Doctor? And the very same, Miss Smith. As I'm sure the Doctor's told you, it's one of the country's foremost research institutes for the development of space hardware. More like space weaponry, it seems. And now they hope to have unit supervision while they test their newest, most destructive toys. Unit is expected to act as security while the senior staff test their latest technological breakthroughs, Doctor. However, I was hoping you'd attend the demonstration with Benton and myself. They have invited us, after all. Not so, Brigadier. They've invited you. I, on the other hand, am my own scientist, with my own projects to oversee. And they don't involve new, clever ways to blast this planet into oblivion. Now, 
if you'll both excuse me. Very well, Doctor. You clearly have much to occupy your time. Far more important than anything at the Cedric Center. I shall just have to inform Professor Shaw that you won't be joining us today. Liz? Liz is one of the scientists at the Center? Doctor, Miss Shaw is the head scientist at the Center. She was seconded there from Cambridge some months ago. I understand she was rather hoping to see you again. Well, of course we should go, Brigadier. Their scientific research is very important, you know. I wouldn't dream of missing a demonstration. Ah, just give me a moment to change my jacket. I think the turquoise will be a fine colour for the occasion. Come along, Miss Smith. Let's give the doctor his moment. Of course, Brigadier. You really know how to persuade him. Time and patience, Miss Smith. Time and patience. Soon the Doctor was riding in Bessie through the English countryside, under a warm summer sun, with the Brigadier, Sergeant Benton and Sarah Jane as passengers. The four soon reached Cedric Corner, which was built in a large country manor. The massive iron gates surrounding the house betrayed the highly protected nature of the work going on inside the building. After a very thorough security check from a small group of armed guards at the front gate, they were open to admit Bessie and her passengers inside. As the doctor brought the yellow roadster to a firm halt, he saw his former assistant, Professor Elizabeth Shaw, standing before the center's reinforced steel front door. Liz smiled, waved, and looked towards her old friends before walking towards Bessie. Hello, Liz. I should have known you'd be the one telling everyone what to do here. Only in a dozen or so subjects. I'm glad to see you again, Doctor. And are you, my dear? Ah, you remember Sarah Jane? Of course. How are you, Sarah? Happy to be along for the ride, Liz. Thanks for inviting us today. You really didn't have to, you know. What, and miss the chance to witness the doctor make Britain's most prominent minds wish they'd gone into banking? I wouldn't dream of it. I'm just relieved my invitation made it through unit security. I suppose I have you to thank for that, Brigadier. It was nothing, Professor Shaw, and uh, like you, I have high hopes for today's proceedings. Then why are we all standing about conspiring like Martian lemurs? Onward to discovery, I say. The doctor strode forward and led the way into the research centre, with his friends closely behind. Your temporary HQ staff were already set up down that hallway, Brigadier. Third door on the left. Very good, Professor. I'm surprised Captain Yates isn't here to supervise the security detail. Ah, Mike is no longer with Unit, I'm afraid. He opted for early retirement some six months ago. Sergeant Benton will be overseeing all Unit personnel while we're here. I promise we'll keep out of your way as much as we can, Professor. I'm sure you will, Sergeant. 
And when you see Mike next, give him my best, won't you? I will, miss, when I see him. And where do you want us, Liz? Through here, Doctor. While Sergeant Benton went to organise a security team, Liz led the Doctor, the Brigadier and Sarah Jane towards the heart of the centre. Eventually they reached a set of large metal doors. On one door was an advanced keypad and a handprint scanner. Liz managed to input a code into the system and pressed her hand to the panel. A slow wash of blue light scanned over her palm. Come into my parlour. Liz pulled the vast doors open and revealed a white-walled room filled with sprawling array of cubicles, laboratories, tables brimming with advanced scientific equipment and experiments. A horde of men and women in white lab coats swarmed about the chamber with studying various mechanical devices, exchanging clipboards heavy with the thick stacks of notes, or inputting complex commands into banks of computers. Liz, this is all so incredible. I never dreamed so much scientific work could be happening all at once in the same place. We do our best with what we have. Still, I'm sure what we're achieving is still a bit primitive for your tastes, Doctor. On the contrary, Liz. There's some very fascinating work going on here. Very fascinating indeed. Ah, hmm. Well, that won't work. Yes. And that's bound to pack up in the next three minutes. And that accumulator design is completely unstable. And... Alternate the pulse rate now, man, or the whole system will overload. Now, out of the way. I'll have to do it myself. Yes, Liz. <laughs> all in all, you have a splendid operation in place here. Ah, my congratulations. Thank you, Doctor. I think. Well, you lot, why are you all standing around gawking? You've all got deadlines to meet, haven't you? Professor Shaw, we're ready for the demonstration. Thank you, Miss Sletnir. Doctor, Brigadier, Sarah, if you'll just go down that hall, I won't be a moment. Miss Sleipner? Yes, Professor. Make sure that the staff follow whatever changes the doctor suggested, won't you? Now this room looks quite important. Where are we now? I imagine this is Professor Shaw's personal domain. Right as ever, except here we don't use test tubes. Here, we are about to unveil the greatest technological achievement of this century. The greatest achievement, Liz? Well, at least the greatest on this planet. And now I'm sure you'd like to know exactly what it is we're really making here. Believe me, Professor, you have our undivided attention. Your highest compliment, Brigadier. Well, the reason the Cedric Centre seconded me, and in fact the only project that could have pulled me away from Cambridge again, is the development of the Space Security System. We call it the SSS. Sounds supremely serious. Uh, what does it do? What's it for? 
I mean, space security, obviously, but what will it do? If all goes as we plan, it will do exactly what the Doctor does best. Protect the Earth from extraterrestrial threats. I can't quite decide if I should be flattered, or simply hand in my resignation, Liz. How does this SSS work, exactly? That I can best show you with a quick presentation. Watch this monitor. Hello. My name is Jeremy Thorpe, and for those who don't know, I am Prime Minister of Great Britain. What follows is a special presentation to the United Nations Security Council from Her Majesty's Government of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Please note that only holders of security clearance level 1 are permitted to view this footage. As you know, since the dawn of the space race, the world's superpowers have launched countless satellites and probes into the depths of space. These activities have drawn the attention of intelligent life from other worlds. That attention has often led to attempts to invade or destroy this planet. There have been many recent examples of such invasions to warn us of the dangers of alien life, such as when the shop window damage came to life, the disastrous results of the Mars Probe 7 scandal, and the Axonite crisis. Mankind is a rising race in our corner of the galaxy, with much to offer our fellow beings, but the governments of this planet have the right even the duty to protect our global citizens from all alien harm. Therefore, the scientists of the Cedric Center here in England have devised the Space Security System, or SSS. The SSS is intended to be a global network of satellites armed with the world's most advanced defensive capabilities, including deep space tracking modules, guided laser targeting platforms, and even a full planetary protective shield. Now, Her Majesty's government realizes, and I recognize, that the feats of technology that we are describing sound like the stuff of science fiction, impossible to achieve, and even more dangerous to implement. But I assure you all, we have the technology to protect ourselves. And as I said before, we must protect ourselves to survive in the increasingly hostile environment of space. We are not alone. We are vulnerable to attack at any time. And if we choose not to act, then we will be responsible for our own enslavement and eventual destruction. The UK government has unilaterally set up the Cedric Center as a first step, a prototype, and proving grounds for the SSS concept. One year from now, we will make its initial findings available to other national governments for a consideration. We would then be willing to export the model for the SSS to be set up in individual nation states by our own specialists. The future of space security cannot be taken lightly. We are taking a lead in the fight 
for the global security of humanity. We invite you, in due course, to play your part. This completes our proposal. I and Her Majesty's Government of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, thank you. Well, Doctor, what do you think? It's certainly a very impressive and extremely ambitious technological concept. But as for my opinion on its value for the Earth, well, I think we should first ask what the locals think. Uh, Brigadier! It's as you say, Doctor, very impressive. And I'm inclined to agree with the Prime Minister. We must be willing and able to protect ourselves from alien attacks. It's why UNIT was formed in the first place. Very true, Brigadier. Very true. And Sarah Jane, how do you feel about the proposed SSS? I'm not sure. I mean, yes, we should defend ourselves from alien invasions, but space monitoring systems, laser defenses, energy shields? It all sounds almost too protective, especially if it fell into the wrong hands. A very wise point of view, Sarah. And what about you, Liz? You're the head of the project. You must have an opinion on its development. Like you, Doctor, I'm a scientist, and I prefer to keep my opinions at a good distance from my work. Oh, I don't know, Liz. I've often found a good opinion is the best foundation for scientific pursuits. But the question remains. If this SSS is just a prototype, albeit a very impressive one, then why are we here? Because it's not just a prototype anymore, Doctor. The SSS is now fully operational. Galvin, Hardy, prepare the system for a test run. Professor Shaw, if this trial run involves spaceborne technology, I must remind you... Don't worry, Brigadier. We won't be firing any missiles today. I leave that to you soldiers. No, we'll just be firing up the few satellites the government already has in orbit to demonstrate the deep space tracking systems. Very well, Professor, but I shall be watching closely. I wouldn't expect anything less. Miss Sletner, is the start-up cycle complete? Yes, Professor Shaw. Excellent. Begin satellite operational control. Satellite operational control initiated. Control established in 60 seconds, 59, 58, 57, 56, 55, 54, 53, 52, 51, 50, 49, Yes. Doctor, don't tell me you're finally letting the Brigadier get to you. Nothing of the sort, Liz. But even I recognize danger when I see it. Danger? What can you mean? This system is capable of slaving independent computer systems to its control. I can see that much from here. And those satellites you're about to take over weren't launched for the purposes you're about to use them for. Your SSS just might cause an overload. Oh, Doctor, have a little faith in my abilities. I learned from you, you know. It's not you I doubt, my dear. 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10. Emergency! Emergency! What is it, Miss Sletnir? There is a fault in the transfer control, Professor. From the satellites? No, Professor. From the Cedric Center. What? Here, let me check, Liz. There's a power overload through these controls. I'm going to order an evacuation. No, no, yeah. No need. 
If I can just remove this access panel, I can interrupt the flow of electricity. There, that's done it. The power level's dropping. Jumping Jehoshaphat! What's wrong, Doctor? This is... No. No, this can't be right. This mustn't be here. Brigadier, Sarah Jane, we're leaving. Now! Doctor, what is it? Now! I'm sorry, Liz. I'm sure I didn't leave your computers too badly burnt for you to fix. Nothing ever changes. Sir, what's wrong, sir? That's just what I want to know. Doctor, what on earth's bothering you? This circuit cube is, Brigadier. And precisely because it's not from your planet at all. Then which planet is it from? Mine. I see. You should go and see him then, and quickly. Benson? Yes, sir. You accompany the Doctor. I'll organize an increased security force here. We may have a serious problem on our hands. Right, sir. Miss Smith, I want you to return to Unit HQ. Oh, no. Not a chance. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's being left in the dark or being pushed out of the way. I'm going with the Doctor. You do know how to pick them, Doctor. Yes. They always find me, don't they? Good luck, Brigadier. And keep watch. You can count on us, Doctor. Doctor, share the details. The circuitry I found embedded in the SSS is a remote override control. So, someone was trying to take over Miss Shaw's gizmo? Precisely, Sergeant. Using Time Lord technology. Time Lord? But who else here has gadgets like yours, Doctor? Take a very wild guess, Sergeant. The Master. Yes, the Master. And I think it's high time we had a serious talk with him, and find out why he's really here. This place is even tighter than the research centre, and we're coming here unannounced. Do you think they'll even let us in? They should, Sergeant. After all, we know the gatekeeper. Hello, Mike. Hello, Doctor. Long time no see. Yes, but we've no time to chat, Mike. I have reason to suspect your prisoner is causing trouble again. You've got to let us through. After all your help, Doctor, you don't need to ask. And if anyone does, I never saw you. Good man. I hope so, Doctor. I hope so.
Mike. It was the best of Brick could do, miss, to get him work here after what happened. Some of the big hats said he should be in prison himself. Yes, but that's the past. Our concerns are in the present. Stay close to Bessie, you two. I'm off to unlock the cell. Blimey, this place gives me the creeps. I never wanted to come back here again. You've been here before? Yes, miss. Years ago, it was once a nuclear power station used for a government project. Eastchester? Wait, yes! The Inferno Project. I heard rumours about that when I was just starting out as a journalist. Something about the lead scientist going mad and almost causing a meltdown. You could say that, miss. It happened when Professor Shaw was still with us at UNIT. Terrible day, that was. One of the worst I've ever seen. What happened? It's a long story. When this is over, I'll tell you all about it. For now, let's just say that the world almost ended here. They should have torn this place down years ago. Then why keep the Master a prisoner here? Because this place is a natural bomb, Sarah Jane. And if the Master were to try and escape, he would only light the fuse to destroy himself and the entirety of planet Earth. Hardly fair to everyone else, but an effective deterrent all the same. Doctor, if you're going to suddenly pop up out of nowhere, I'm going to have to put a bell on you. Stealth, my dear. It's one of my best qualities. Come along. Oh, yes. Stealthiest dandy on the planet. Doctor, there's a bunker over there. Well, of course there is, Sarah Jane. It's the entry to the Master's prison. But it wasn't there before. It was always here, Sarah. Just hiding in plain sight. We can't make it too easy to find the Master now, can we? Right. Here we go. Abandon all hope. Doctor, this place... It feels so... strange. She's right, Doc. I don't know why, but this all feels like... Almost like a TARDIS. That's because it's exactly that. Almost a TARDIS. It's a pocket dimension. A dark, empty void designed to house a dark, empty occupant. And there he is. Yes, Doctor, here I am. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to my humble cell. Oh, don't be shy, my friends. Come closer. You can't actually reach this hypercube, of course. The doctor's designed it very well. Much better than the last one, I must say. But tell me, Doctor, how is life on the outside these days? I've not come for a social visit, Master. I have a very important problem to solve, and I think you might know the answer. Oh, a problem, have you? Perhaps I can help you, Doctor. But then you know what I expect in return. <clears throat> Your freedom, of course. But you know I can't. 
Is it really so much to request? Especially from a former exile like yourself? I don't know how you could even ask that. After all the times you've tried to kill the Doctor and destroy us. Ah, Sergeant Benton. Ever the loyal chaperone. Have you never considered that without my TARDIS, and therefore without means of escape, I might no longer nurture those pursuits, at least in the interests of self-preservation? Yes, I am aware of your circumstances. But even you must see that what you ask is impossible. I just can't risk it. Uh, then we have nothing more to discuss. A pity. We once had so much to say. Even so, thank you for making the journey here, Doctor. I'm certain you know the way out. Oh, come on! You can't just give up that easily. I'm starting to wonder why anyone calls you the Master. <laughs> Doctor, I must congratulate you on your latest assistant. She has courage, even potential. More so, I dare say, than her predecessor. Well, she may yet prove, at the very least, a brief and amusing distraction from my eternal solitude. Doctor, you wish to pry information from me. I offer you a counter-proposal. Allow Miss Smith, yes, Miss Smith, to ask your questions for you. She has an inquisitive air. She might just find your answers, or not. But I shall speak with her, if you permit. What do you say? I don't trust him. He's planning something. I know it. I know, Sergeant. But if there's even a chance, he might talk. Sarah, I know it's asking a lot, but... No, it's fine. I am a journalist. Asking questions is my life. And I want to help. All right, Master. I'm coming closer. Come as close as you like, Miss Smith. I won't cause any trouble. I can't, as you see. Well, the best way to start any interview is at the beginning. My beginning, as you would understand it, is a very long time ago, Miss Smith. I doubt you have the time to hear that story. I believe you. So let's just start with when you last returned to Earth. About six months ago, you crash-landed outside Unit HQ in a sort of escape pod. What happened to you before then? Unfortunately, there's very little I can tell you. One moment I was safe inside my TARDIS, and the next, I was under attack from some unknown force. The damage inflicted upon my ship was so quick and complete that I had no choice but to accept that my ship was doomed. And you have no idea who or what attacked you? No, none at all. And believe me, Miss Smith, to destroy a TARDIS is no simple task. In fact, it should be impossible. Perhaps I should ask for my money back, eh, Doctor? But you were able to escape them, whoever they were? Yes, I managed to reach one of the escape cubes, but not before another attack left me gravely injured. Even in my disorientated condition, I realized there was only one person in the cosmos that might be able to help me. The Doctor. Precisely. And yes, given our history, the immense irony of my situation did not then, nor does it now, escape me. And so, knowing how fond the Doctor is of this world, in this time, I set a course for Earth and hoped to appeal to the Doctor's curiosity upon my arrival. Imagine my disappointment when he and the Brigadier simply locked me away without a single thought. You can't blame them. Not after all the times you've tried to kill the Doctor, let alone destroy the Earth. Oh, you misunderstand me, Miss Smith. It's not the Doctor's mistrust of me, after all we've endured together, that disappoints me. No, my disappointment was that he didn't even try to imagine that, just once, 
I might have been telling the truth. Come here, Doctor. You can bring Sergeant Benton with you if you wish. Since it is obvious that there is nothing I can do to convince you to release me, and with nothing else to occupy my time, I shall help you in whatever way I can. Now, what seems to be your problem? Thank you. My problem is this. You recognize it, I trust? Oh yes. A Time Lord Remote Override Control. Very sophisticated. But don't tell me you're having more troubles with them, Doctor. No. Nothing like that. I found this embedded within the controls of a new experimental global defense network. Someone was using it to take control of the system. And naturally, you assume that somehow, even from within this prison, I had something to do with its placement. Yes, well, you are very resourceful. Likewise, Doctor. But, if I may say, perhaps you are not very observant. You see, this override control's function is not what you think it is. What are you talking about? Well, even from within this prison, I can see that the device's poles have been reversed. This override now protects local control, instead of asserting remote control. What? That means that whoever placed this override, the computer systems, wasn't trying to take control of the defense grid, but... But was most likely trying to protect the system from something else. And now, that protection is gone, Doctor. Oh dear. Doctor? We've got to get back to the research center. Wait, Doctor! Release me! I can help you! I'm sorry. The doctor raced towards Bessie and leapt over the driver's side door to land behind the wheel. He'd started his engine before his friends had even reached the roadster. They had barely settled into their seats when the doctor threw the gear stick into place and sped the roadster along desolate landscape towards the facility's front gate. As the doctor barreled towards the barrier, he pressed his palm against the car horn, unleashing a mighty continuous pearl of sap. Mike Yates heard it and wasted no time raising the gate. Bessie flew past his guard station in a blurred streak of brilliant yellow. As Mike watched the yellow blur recede into the distance, he wondered what had made the doctor leave so quickly. He then returned to his station and lowered the brigade. What the devil? Who ordered choppers? Why not chew any top brass here for months? So who else is coming to see the master? Years, miss. I think he's having one of his only I can save the world moments. You'll get no sense of him while he's like that. I can hear you both. I just can't believe that I've been so stupid. I should have realized. Suddenly the doctor blinked. He felt weightlessness, formless. There was no blue sky above, no sunlight, and no surrounding countryside. The only thing were the shifting colors of the time vortex. 
As the doctor felt himself drifting into the changing patterns of light and color, he heard the rushing whispers of many voices. They were speaking, calling, pleading. The voices were familiar. He knew the names. They were calling his name. Doctor! Well, that was close. I only just got to the wheel in time. Well done, Sergeant, but what's wrong with the Doctor? I don't know. Doctor? Doctor! I think he's passed out. Doctor! Steady on, Sergeant. I'm neither dead nor deaf. You nearly killed us, Doctor! But thank heavens you're all right. What happened to you, Doctor? I'm not sure. Some kind of attempt to forge a telepathic link, I think. Some being, or a group of beings, trying to contact me across time. They were desperate to tell me something. But what? Something to do with that, I should think. As a sudden storm front increased in strength, the urgent voice of the Brigadier spoke through the Sergeant Benton's portable radio. Trap one to Golden Retriever. Trap one to Golden Retriever. Benton, are you receiving me? Over. Golden what? Well, of all the confounded... Benton here, sir. We've an emergency situation developing. We need the doctor back here at the research center. Tell Lethbridge Stewart we're already on our way. budget for body armor, let alone weapons like those. Who are you lads? Hello. I was right. Coming to see the master, are we? Good luck getting in without the doctor's doohickey. Wait a moment. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. What's that box do as if I couldn't... Oh, well of course. Step right in, why don't you? Tea and bickies with the devil. Why not? Box must be based on the same tech as the doctor's. Not good, my old son. Time we were off. Got to warn the brigadier about this. Mike made a quick decision and raced to his car. He started the engine and sped towards the front gates, thanking his lucky stars that he kept the barricade open. He gave the steering wheel a sharp turn and drove off the paved road, heading at top speed directly towards Cedric's center. Back in the research center, the doctor, Sarah Jane and Benton, found the brigadier in the unit's temporary HQ. He was directing a chaotic rush of phone calls radio communications, and radar reports. All right, Brigadier. What's the trouble? Uh, Doctor, thank goodness you're here. 
Something is happening to the Earth's weather patterns. We have reports of freak events. Blizzards, hurricanes, monsoons, the whole lot. All happening at once, everywhere. Weather reports coming from Los Angeles, Sydney, Moscow and Copenhagen, sir. All confirmed disaster level events. Massive seismic disturbances now reported in the Americas, Southern Asia and Africa. Doctor, are you seeing this? Yes, I'm afraid so, Liz. No, not the weather. The poles. The Earth's magnetic field is depolarizing. What? Confirmed. We have reports of worldwide communications disruptions and power failures in all populated areas. What the blazes? Looks like the power's failing here, too. Benton, get to the generators. Keep the lights on. Right, sir. Wait. Sir, someone's trying to get into the sensor. It's Captain Gates, sir. Mike? The Doctor, Brigadier, Benton, Sergei, Liz, all huddled into the main room. They saw Mike Yates soaking wet and frantic, struggling to get past the sentries at the door. Doctor! Brigadier! You've got to let me through! Let him pass. That's an order. Mike, why aren't you guarding the master? Because he's not there, sir. Helicopters came to the complex just after the doctor left. There were men with weapons. They entered the bunker. They released the master. I knew it! Now, Brigadier, we must organize a search. No need, doctor. Squad. Enter and surround. Civilians keep still. Unit soldiers, hands away from your weapons. A large group of armed men swarmed into the lobby, forming a perimeter around the doctor and his friends. Then the master entered the room with the confidence of a king. As you can see, I am already here. <laughs>